0: Uh, I'm excited to uh, kick off this new series, Around the Table. And uh, we've got some exciting stuff, some fun stuff that we're doing with this series that we're going to be talking about. And uh, whether you're in the room or you're online, it's good to be together. And as we kick off this Around the Table series, uh, I thought let's talk about some table stats, right? Isn't that fun? Let's talk about tables. No, Uh, we're going to talk about just the idea of being around the table, though, uh, with some statistics. I'm a statin nut a bit. I enjoy information and trivia and factoids and things. Uh, Did you know, on average, we eat about 1,000 meals a year, right? Three meals a day, 365 days, right? We skip a couple meals here or there. We eat about 1,000 meals a day. Now, listen to this. One out of five meals are eaten in our car. 20% of our meals are eaten in our car. So that means of the thousand out of the year, how many is that for those math people in the room? About 200. 200 meals we're gonna eat in our car this calendar year. Uh, Anyone guess the number or the percentage of adults that eat their meals alone? The percentage of adults, how many meals do we eat alone, right? How many of us adults? It's 50%. Of adults will eat meals alone. Just no community. I, I can picture that. I eat my lunch alone often, right? I eat breakfast alone. Things like that. We eat our meals alone. Now, here's a shift that's happened over the decades. Uh, in the 1950s, the average family spent 90 minutes a day around the dinner, dinner table. 90 minutes. I can't imagine 90 minutes at the table with my children. Right? That sounds like some cruel and unusual. That's the 90 minutes around the dinner table in the 50s. And, and and they would and there were no phones. How did they do that? Right? There were there were <laughs> there was no coloring at the dinner table. They just sat there and ate. And look at how happy they look. I mean, they just they're drinking milk. And that's probably whole milk too, right? Just, they're just, and the dad's wearing a suit. Come on now, I'm lucky if I got shoes on at the dinner table, right? Now, the shift from the 1950s to today, can you guess, if it was 90 minutes then, any guess as to how many minutes we spend around the dinner table today? You guys are really close. It is an average of 12 minutes a day. 12 minutes. We went from 90 minutes to 12. And to me, that seems long with my children, right? 12 minutes. 12 minutes seems like, yeah, we got there. We ate. I wasn't one of the 50% eating alone. I at least saw my children's faces, right? But with all that's going on, the idea of sitting around a dinner table with other people is almost becoming foreign. In fact, I don't know about you, we often don't sit around the table. We sit on a couch. And what's on when we sit around the couch? The television. Or you're sitting around the dinner table and what's out? your phones. How many of you have your phones out while you're eating dinner with some other people, right? Even if you're going out and it's like ladies' night, you're sitting at Applebee's and eating buffalo wings, right? How many of you pull out your phones while you're sitting there having camaraderie and community with each other, right? We all do this. We, we get distracted by TVs or phones or whatever. And the table has become or, or was and has been a centerpiece for gathering people, uh, feeding people, engaging with people we've kind of lost that, and as you read through the Gospels, you see that Jesus ate around a table a lot. Da Vinci had it right, right let's show the classic. there it is. Jesus sitting around the table. It's actually along a table. He's not really around the table. for some reason, Da Vinci thought they were just at one long one sitting along one side. Who sits at a table like this? Is anyone? No, no, no one does this. but anyways the the idea is there is that You look at the Gospels, and often what you're going to find is Jesus is sitting at a meal. He's eating with people. He's reclining around the table is what Luke would often say. Throughout the Gospels, you see that the Son of Man, the Son of God, came to do what? He came to seek and save the lost. He says the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. But how he did that was around a table. Not all the time, but a lot of times his method was sitting around a table. In fact, Luke 7.34 says this about the Son of Man, that the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say he is a glutton and a drunkard. That's, that's your Savior right there being described. That's the comments on his Facebook page. You glutton, you drunkard. You don't get characterized as a glutton and a drunk unless you are constantly being seen sitting around a table eating and drinking with people, right? I mean, think about that. Like, you wouldn't call him a drunk if you didn't see him drinking. You wouldn't call him a glutton if you didn't see him eating. And so Luke is telling us that people's characterization of Jesus was he was sitting around a table. But that's how he did it. We saw the importance of sitting and lingering and spending time. And what we are going to do is look at some of these transformational moments that happen around a table with Jesus and the early church and see that the table can be this centerpiece for growth and discipleship and development. And so today we're talking about this idea of the fellowship table in Acts chapter 2. You just read the passage with. Pastor Tyler, he read through all of it in Acts chapter 2, and this passage comes up uh, right on the heels of like the wildest church service ever, right? It's called the Day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. The churches gather together, they're singing, they're praying, and then all of a sudden like the Holy Spirit shows up. Boom, right? Jesus has already ascended up into heaven into the clouds, and, and they're praying and worshiping and having this church service, and boom, the Holy Spirit shows up. People start speaking in unknown languages and tongues, and, and it's just like there's fire and wind and all this stuff, Right? Earth, wind, and fire, right? It's just going, right? (laughs) And it's just going, and it's just wild. And Peter gets up and preaches, and then 3,000 people get saved. Bam! That's a wild church service. And then Luke, right on the heels of that, describes what they did. Because it's right after this big moment, and these big catalytic moments, he wants us to see that, following Jesus is not just about wild church services, it is about a lifestyle of walking with Jesus. And that's what we saw in what what was just read. You see, as we look at that passage, what do we see? I don't see liturgy. I see lifestyle. As you look at that passage in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47, I don't see church programs. I see people just living life with other people. And the importance of doing that. That's why as a church, like our new slogan statement is, we are ordinary people following an ordinary God. Together! together. We are or- I was just waiting. I knew, I knew somebody would get there. We are ordinary people following an extraordinary God together. together. There are no lone rangers, lone wolves, solo artists. If you think you're a lone wolf, well, guess what? We need a wolf pack. We've got to be together. And Acts chapter 2 shows us this, that we are meant to be around a table of fellowship and be around other people. Acts 2.42 says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread and to prayer. They devoted themselves. That's a key word in that passage. That there was persistence. There was consistency. There was a faithful adherence. These are not bandwagon fans. They showed up. I got to go to the Mariners game this week with my wife and our three kids, and it was a sold-out game. You know what I saw? A bunch of bandwagon fans, because the night before, two nights before, there was like 17,000 people, and then there was 47,000 people, right? All of a sudden, because the Mariners started winning, what happened? Everyone showed up. Are they devoted to the Mariners? I'm sure some are. The people sitting behind us weren't, because the lady, April, (laughs) April heard this gal talking about the baseball game, and she's like, so when are the Mariners going to score a touchdown? Just shaking my head. I'm like, you are not here for the baseball. <laughs> you are here for beers, brats, and whatever. Boys, I don't know. You're just here for the wrong reasons. You are not devoted to this. Right? These Christians of the early church, these Jesus freaks, these Jesus followers, are devoted to being together. They are not bandwagon. They are prioritizing, they're making time for it. It's important. How devoted are we to sharing life with other Christians? How devoted are we, truly, to sharing life with other Christians, developing Christian friendships? We need each other. We know we need each other. It kind of feels like I'm your dentist telling you to floss. I get that. We all know we need to do this. You need to go exercise. Yeah, I get it. I need Christian friends, but how do I do that? Well, I think it first starts with us prioritizing that this matters to us. It's not on accident that we're coming right off of this series about slow spirituality, where what did we talk about? Slowing things down so we had time to do what really mattered to us. In the busy pace of life, I don't want to be too busy to miss out on what God wants for me and my family or for you, whether that's sitting with Jesus or Sabbathing or praying or being with other people. We need that. And when you're devoted to it, as we see in this passage, it's more than just Sunday morning gatherings. In verse 46, it says that they, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts and they broke bread in their homes. So you see them meeting publicly in the temple, exhibit A, right? We're meeting together publicly in a gathering, but then what do they do? They meet together in the homes. They were with each other. They were not alone. It is more than Sundays. If this is the pinnacle of our faith, yikes. That's not what Luke is telling us in the book of Acts. What is he telling us? Yeah, there were wild gatherings, days of Pentecost, moments where the Holy Spirit shows up in a public gathering. But then he says that they went into homes and they were around each other. They were together, sharing life. It is really hard to share life with each other when we don't hang out with each other. We don't see each other. And so as we look at this rhythm of sharing life and being around the table together, there are three, uh, three ingredients that I want to talk about that we see in the book of Acts, chapter 2, the passage that we just read. Three ingredients that we see, uh, which is, there's a bit of a board play there, right? Three key ingredients being around the table. You see where I'm going? Tasia's nodding. She gets it. Yeah, you get it, right? Three key ingredients. First one is food. Repeatedly in this passage, there's Food. God loves food, right? Jesus is a glutton, as they say. In in Luke 7, he eats food. Well, in Acts chapter 2, they carry that tradition on. They ate food. They broke bread. They ate together. And this is more than just communion. Some scholars say that it's talking about communion. There's an aspect of that. Yes, they, they had the Lord's Supper, just like we did. We remember the sacrifice of Christ with the bread and the juice or wine. And This here in this passage is so much more than just communion. This is about eating together, sharing a meal together. They're following in the footsteps of Jesus. They're like, I can get behind this guy. (laughs) He likes to eat. Think about how food changes the dynamic of a gathering. What does it do? What does food do to the dynamic of putting people in a room, right? I could say this week, hey, I'd like to meet with you this week. Some of you are like, huh, the pastor wants to meet with me, right? And I could say, I'd like to go to lunch with you. It's a little different. When you come over to somebody's house and there's food, what does it do? It makes it more casual, more conversational, a little less formal. Food causes us to slow down. and causes us to linger because we're meant to slow down and partake of it together. We're supposed to sit, and eat, and Food does that. You picture the early church sitting around eating a meal, and and people are bringing this food, and and it's a communal meal. It's a common meal. They're bringing this food together, and you think about, as everybody's contributing to what's happening, right? It's like an ancient potluck. They're just bringing these foods, and they're united together around the food that's being contributed. key ingredient is food. And so for Sundays, here's the fun part. For the uh, Sundays of this series, we're going to do this here in our gatherings, we have food available every week during this series. Today is donuts. I got one hallelujah on that one. I heard it in the back, right? I see those hands. Hallelujah. Calories for Christ. All right? After service, every week, we will have some sort of food. Because you know what happens when we serve food? You don't leave as fast. It's true. Fourth of July, we served apple pie. Guess what? You didn't run off. You ate it. And you hung out. And what do you do while you're eating a donut or apple pie or a pastry? What are you doing in the cafe? What are you doing here when we eat a donut? I don't care about your calorie intake, all right? I just want you to sit and eat. Why do I want you to eat? Because you'll talk. Because you're not going to go sit in a corner and eat a donut. Mmm, this is so good. I love this. Mm, 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 mm. No. You're going to sit and you're going to talk. You're going to hang out with people. You're going to get to know somebody. Hey, it's good to see you. Aren't these donuts amazing? Yes, I love our pastor and his great ideas of around the table. We're going to be around tables eating, right? Whether it's a bistro table or an imaginary table of donuts. But we will eat and feast and be. So we're going to try this ingredient of food. The second one that I see in this passage in Acts chapter 2 is not just food, but it's friends. Throughout this passage in verse 42, 46, 47, you see friendship. It says that they devoted themselves to fellowship. They saw gladness in each other. They had a sincere heart for each other. They enjoyed each other's favor. Those are some big phrases. Fellowship, it is a churchy word that we don't hear. I did not hear this word at the Mariners game this week. Nobody talked about fellowship. It's a very churchy word, but it means to share something in common. To have a commonality, a bond, a collaboration, a partnership, something shared. And so they they devoted themselves to sharing something in common with other people. Common meal, common resources, common beliefs, common season of life. Fellowship. It's a commonality that's building bonds with people. It says that they had sincerity and favor. Well, to favor each other means what? I see good in you. Think about that. These people are meeting together, and they are not looking at each other with you know Simon Cowell criticisms. They're looking at each other with what? Gladness and favor, meaning that they look upon each other with care. I see good in you. When you sit around my table, I see good in you. I see the positive in you. I see what God's doing in you. I see the potential in you. I don't just want to tell you all your flaws and brokenness. No, let's save that for your boss. But when we sit around this table, we favor each other. We see good in each other. We care for each other. We are inclusive. There's an inclusivity when it comes to favoring each other. That I favor you so much, I will welcome you to my table. There's a sincerity, right? It says they had sincere hearts. What does that mean? There's a genuineness. You're not sitting around the table around people that are putting on a mask or performance. There's a genuineness, an authenticity, a transparency, a vulnerability. It's what I like to call sweatpants friends. You got sweatpants friends? They can come over to your house when you're wearing sweatpants? And you're just like, this is me. I wear sweatpants. There's the laundry, there's the dishes. Welcome, right? Step over the Legos and come on over and sit on this couch and watch out for my dog, right? There's a sincerity in that though of like, you see me sincerely and and you still love me for my vulnerability. You still care for me and my genuineness. And you still have favor and see the good in me, even though you saw all my flaws. These are some dynamic phrases that move us from strangers to acquaintances and from acquaintances to friends. No performances, no exclusivity, no looking at everything that we're different about, but looking at what do we share in common? What brings us together? My heart for this series, my heart for dinner groups and all that we're doing and the donuts, and all of this, is because I think 2020 exposed our need for connection and relationship with people. I don't know about you specifically and all the intricacies of how you journeyed the last year and a half to two years, but I'll tell you what, for myself, I thought I was more connected than I I really was. I thought I had more friends, I thought I had more support systems around me, and 2020 exposed this huge glaring blind spot in my own life, and I think within the lives of our church, that we're a lot more disconnected and alone than we thought. And so we can stay in that, or we can pivot out of it. We can step out of it and begin to focus as a church together on establishing friendships. You can't just jump into friendships. you got to develop that, and there's some key things in that friendship, right? fellowship, favor, sincerity, inclusivity, all of these key things. we're going to talk more about that over the course of these weeks. But this idea is to develop friendships so that when the next storm hits, when it hits the fan, how many of you know it's going to hit the fan at some point? Right? That you don't feel alone, you feel supported. We need that. That's where my heart is for our church right now. How do we develop that? How do we foster that? Food, friends. The third one is faith. When you look at this grouping of people, there's something different about them. They're studying the teachings, they're praying, they're sharing communion. There's wonders and miraculous signs occurring. There's praising God. In verse 47, it talks about them praising God. This is a key distinction from other groups. This is what makes us different from the Elks group and the Seahawks watch party and the bowling league and your soccer team and all of these other groups that you might have. Because if you take the faith component out, what are we? We are just a social club. We are just a dinner group. Right? We are just people sharing a meal. But if we, if we put Jesus at the center of that, there's something dynamic, something life-changing. And for a bunch of different reasons, we will gather around a table with people or gather around a living room with people and never really want to get there in terms of sharing our faith or wrestling with what we believe or something we read in the Bible or a question that we might have or something thought provoking that your pastor said. And and I'm not talking about with unchurched, non-churched people. I'm talking about even just with other Christian friends. How many of us sit with other Christian friends and never really want to broach that subject of faith? We share that in common, and yet we are intimidated to even talk about what we believe and what we're thinking and what we're praying about and what we're going through. There are, that feels like a hurdle that we just can't jump over sometimes in some rooms and some tables, some dynamics fears, insecurities, whatever it is. And so with this series, what I'm really excited about too is we're, we're trying something called Table Talk. And so each week there will be a card available in the cafe when you go get your donut, right, or your bagel or your croissant or whatever, there will also be these cards and they've got questions on them uh, for you to talk about around the table, and some of these will be for when you, you know, some, all the dinner groups are going to have these. So if you join a dinner group, this is one of the things you can be talking about. But some of you won't be able to for whatever reason. Or you want to talk about it with your, your spouse, or your roommate, or your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your kids, whatever. And so we've got these cards available. Grab them. Take them. I don't need 50 of them. We print them for you. Right? Take them. Please. Otherwise, they just go in the recycle. The point is to put a tool in your hand to say, you know what, it is tough to talk about it with my family, but let's let's start. Let's just sit around the table and we'll we'll ask a question, and we'll talk about it, and we'll, we'll engage in these things. We'll sit in our dinner group, or we'll sit with our friends, or we'll do something, and we'll talk about these things. That's the idea here. That's what we're trying to go for. And... In talking about these things and and, and trying to do these table talks, oh, I wanted to mention too, it's not just on paper. If people are watching online, uh, it'll be in the comments of the video because we understand that not everybody can be here physically. Uh, These same questions will be in the video comments, not the video comments, the video descriptions of every week. And so you can check out those questions online too. but what happens? You get food, food. you get food, friends, and then you get this faith dynamic. And, and verse 47 said that you've got all these people together, and what begins to happen? They're praising God. They're praising God together. Why is that? You, you, you put a peop, you put a group of people together, they're sharing a common meal. They're rallying around their faith. They're asking tough questions. They're praying for each other. They're worshiping together. They're grappling with teachings together. They're embracing each other. They're, they're accepting each other. And you know what begins to happen? Their eyes lift off of all the problems of today. And they begin to lift upward together and say, let's praise the God that brought us together. Let's praise the God that says, I belong to him and to you. Let's praise the God that says, you belong to him and to me. I'm not alone. And so our eyes lift off of today and upwards towards the heavens. And in verse 47, it says what? They praised God. That is so hard to do when I'm just like inward, right? And you begin to see this dynamic of faith plus food plus friends. That's some good math, by the way. Faith plus food plus friends. I can get behind that math. And all of this, they're praising God, and all this happens. And then in verse 47, Luke drops this little nugget that says they're making an impact in their world. Verse 47, let's throw it up on the screen. God added to their number daily those who were being saved. How many of you want the gospel to permeate into your community? We do. We want the good news of Jesus not just to transform us, but to transform the people around us. Our homes, your spouse, your kids, your grandkids. Your uncles and aunts and brothers and sisters. We want the gospel to transform our city. And guess what happens is that people get saved. And it's not because they read the best book on how to grow their church, because it didn't exist. You think about this early church why did it grow? Why was it infectious? That's a bad word infectious. I shouldn't say that. Not in 2021. I was going to say contagious. That's a bad word too. (laughs) Why did people want it? Because they saw community. They saw people belonging together. They saw people engaging their minds and their hearts and their soul and their relationships. They saw their stomachs being fed. They saw something they desired. There are people in your world that don't feel like they belong anywhere, and your story is going to have a missional and evangelistic impact, and that's an aspect that we're going to talk about during this series, is the missional and evangelistic impact that these groups can have, and I want that for all of us. So, naturally, I'm going to share about a church program we're doing, right, right? Oh, I I talk about lifestyle and a life of living in community, and then here comes the church program for you to sign up for. In the short term, yes, it is a church program, but the goal of that is to do what? To build a lifestyle of community. And for some of us, we're just like, how do I do that? How do I get started? Well, we have this thing that we're starting called dinner groups. And the idea behind dinner groups is to give us a taste of what we're talking about today what we're talking about over this series. Dinner groups give us this idea of consistent community. Being devoted to food, hallelujah. Being devoted to friendship, yes. Being devoted to our faith. Dinner groups is an opportunity for us to rally around that, get a taste of that, a Costco sampling of that, and say, I want that ongoing. I want more of that. So yes, it is a church program. Yes, it is something we're trying together. But it is not meant to just stop because there is a long-term implication here that we want you to continue to do that, whether it's in these groups. Some of these groups may end, but some of these groups may continue in the long term. But guess what? Some groups may launch out of this. The idea is that they are ongoing and that as we enter into the holidays and then we enter into 2022, how many of you still need relationship in 2022? You don't just need it for five weeks, six weeks in the fall. So the idea here is to give us a taste of this. The church is meant to give you an opportunity to say yes to it, but to live that out ongoing. And, and I want to just close with kind of illustrating what life groups can be uh, as a freeway. How many of you love driving on the freeway? No? Well, great. This will go great. I may have just lost some of you. But the freeway is, is a mode of transportation that's ongoing, and it's headed in the same direction, and there's a lot of people on it. Life groups is meant to be a large group of people going in the same direction. We're going in this direction towards following Jesus, growing together in relationship. We're moving in the same direction. And I kind of visualize life groups as a freeway because you've got all these lanes on a freeway, and these groups would represent different lanes on a freeway. Is one lane better than the other? Some of us, when we're driving, we think so. But really, they're going to get you to the same spot. The destination is not faster. It is Jesus. That's where we're all headed. All these groups Life groups in general are meant to point us towards and get us towards community with each other, growing together to be more like Jesus. That's the goal. And so as a freeway of life groups, we're all headed in that direction. Do we need to change lanes sometimes on the freeway? Yes. Are there times where you're going to need to change life groups? Yeah. Because this group meets on Mondays and now Mondays don't work for you. Okay, you got to change lanes. All right. Sometimes you need to change because the pacing is different. They meet every week. This group meets every other week. Whatever, right? It's not about, ah, sometimes we get so wrapped up in in it, and it's just like, no, all these are meant to go in the same direction. One is not better than the other. And there are seasons where we need to change groups and change lanes and, and do those different things, but we're all headed in the same direction. Another thing that you see on freeways, though, is you see rest areas, Right? You see, rest areas. And what do you do at a rest area? You take a break. Right? Because you need it. And there are times, and we talk about life groups, I want you to grab this idea of it being a freeway. And there are times where you need to take a rest area. You need to take a break. Meeting every week or meeting every other week is just like, man, I just can't do it. Summertime, you need a rest area sometimes, right? Like around Christmas, it would be foolish for, like, hey, it's the 24th. We should get together because our group meets every Thursday. it's the twenty. No, take a rest area. Take a break. Right? There are times where we need to take breaks. Now, the difference in why I chose rest area as opposed to off-ramp is because we take an off-ramp. And I, I, I've seen it. I've lived it. I've done it. A lot of times when life gets busy or hard or we go through tragedy, what do we want to do? We want to just disconnect from relationship and take the off-ramp. And I would argue that that's when we need to be in group. That's when we need people in our life. Now, logistically, there may be times where we need a rest area. Hey, I just can't, I can't commit to every week or every other week, whatever. Or I'm going on vacation or what have you. But I want to move us away from this idea of off-ramps and leaving this. Because to me, community and the desire to be in community, the need to be in community is something that we always need just the pacing of which lane we're in and the group that we're in and what we're doing and the season of life that we're in. We just may need to change lanes. We may need to take a rest area for a little bit. But we don't stop being devoted to the fellowship of each other. And lastly, with freeways, here's the thing. We need on-ramps to get on a freeway. And so, as we talk about life groups this fall, but also ongoing, is looking at moments to be on-ramps into community. When we do something like Connection Night next Sunday, the idea is not just that you get to hang out for a moment. It's, we want to point people towards get in a life group. Get in a dinner group. Join in with other people. Begin to develop that. When we have events, We want to connect people into dinner groups. We want to connect people into life groups. We want to get those on-ramps going in that direction. You can be a signpost to that on-ramp to get people headed in this direction of being in community together. Being on this together. And I I was thinking about it. That whole idea of being on this freeway of life groups, the idea of life groups in general can sometimes petrify us. Some of you right now are just scared of the idea of you want me to do what? You want me to be vulnerable? You want me to commit? You want me to say yes to that? You want me to go into somebody's house? I don't know them, whatever, 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 right? And it kind of reminds you of the first time you were learning to drive. How many of you loved going on the freeway when you were learning to drive, right? No one does. I remember I was oh, I, you're white knuckling, right? Oh, we're going to go, we're going to go, right? And you're just, you're nervous to go on the freeway when you're first driving. Well, I get it. Some of us are nervous, the idea of getting into a life group and jumping into community and... Bearing our soul with people and, and doing this. It can be intimidating. But we need to be encouraged to know that there are people that are with us. We're not alone in this. And when we get into community, when we get into dinner groups, we get into life groups, we get into sharing life with other people, we get to experience the stuff that we talked about today. We get to grow to develop. We get to be more like Jesus. The gospel says that you and I belong. And Jesus wants to be with you. And he wants to welcome you into community. My hope is that each of us gets to discover that again this fall. And I want everyone to be able to know that they can belong. Our church, we need to understand though that we may not know everybody. It's a fact. You may not know everyone in the church, but everyone will be known. You may not know everyone, but everyone will be known. And the way that that can be possible is through things like dinner groups, life groups, building community. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for what you're doing in your church. I think your timing is right. I think what you're stirring us and inspiring us to do is right. Because there is a longing within each of us to be known. And I thank you, Jesus, that you see each person. And you know them, and you love them, and you welcome them into your family. I pray that this fall is an opportunity for us to taste and see that it is good to be a part of your family. I pray that you begin to establish life groups and community and fellowship, not just for the fall, but for the seasons to come. I pray for those right now that feel disconnected and feel alone, for those that have been hurt by the church, for those that had trust betrayed in a life group or a small group in the past. That hesitancy, that fear, God, we just pray that you would, you would be with those folks right now. We acknowledge the pain. We acknowledge the loneliness. We acknowledge the disconnect. We acknowledge the scars of the past. God, I would come to you for healing in that and pray that this season can be a step towards that healing. Not because we're amazing, but because you are. You are amazing. You are loving, forgiving, accepting. You're amazing, God. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. If you'd like more information regarding Hub City Church, find us at thehubcitychurch.com. Thanks for listening.